One of the best things I got to do as a dad was tuck my kids into bed. So as I, was tucked, as I would tuck them into bed, I would say, Daddy loves you. And they would say, I love you too. And then I would ask them, and I would say, who loves you more? And I'm very glad that they gave the answer that I'd hoped they would give over time. Jesus. And that's exactly right. I love you. Who loves you more? Jesus. There's a lot of people in this room that are going to love over spending time in Jamaica or just working together. Caleb, you're one of them. I love you, Caleb. But who loves you more? Jesus. So if you remember nothing else, remember that. Pull that out of your pocket and hopefully it'll come to you in a time where you really need to remember that there are people in your life that love you. Moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, siblings, whatever. But who loves you more? Who loves you more? I know it's cheesy, but remember. It's one of the ways I seeked and I really wanted. Um, I was sitting in a driveway with my dad one day, and my dad said, you know, um, I got to know what my dad's dirty underwear was, so to speak, in the sense that dad said, I remember one day I had to make a choice. I'm either going to play dad or be your dad. And in being your dad, I got to know a lot of the things that were going on in his life. But at the same time, there was such a deep and rich relationship that I had with my dad that is, I can basically, I can look back and I say, I am so thankful for the fact that my dad blessed my life. Now, um, my dad was a Christian, first-generation Christian in his family. We're going to talk a little bit about the family that uh, kind of he came from. But um, uh, dad grew up with a very heavy, in a very heavy-handed family system that after a while he didn't want anything to do with. And one of the reasons we're talking, we're doing this series, I know we've heard about the blessed model. I hope you have, because at the core, it's at the core of what we do here at BASIC. And uh, Brad did such a great job of sharing last week and kicking off the series that uh, he said uh, there were uh, two kinds of people that would come in, and they both had a heart for, letting, for wanting people to know who Jesus was. But people would come in with a conversion mindset, meaning that we're going to share a scripture, we're going to come in, you know, we're going to kind of come in with a heavy-handed way. And the rate of conversion, the rate of people that would say yes to Jesus was actually pretty low. And then there was another group that would come in and say, we want to bless the people that we interact with. And the ratio of people coming to say yes to the Lord was greater in those instances because of the model of blessing. And uh, hopefully we've uh, talked enough about this that we know what those uh, each letter in the word bless stand for. So the first one, Brad talked last week, he started off with what? B stands for? Begin with prayer. And already we've prayed a couple times in this time together. He did a fantastic job. Remember what his nugget was? That he was a product of what? Persistent prayer. People were praying in his life constantly. What a great story about him being adoption. I listened to the, to the podcast a couple of times and I was very glad I did. Um, and L is listen, that sometimes we actually help people more. Uh, that's a good thing to remember if you ever do therapy or any kind of counseling. They understand something really important, that you actually help people more by listening than by speaking. Then eating, we all eat, so why don't we take advantage of the two, three times, maybe more that we eat a day by having significant conversations with people. And then the last two are serve and story. We're invited to serve. Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we have that model. Instead of have, waiting for people to do things for you, maybe you turn it around and serve others. And then uh, story. Uh, now, Carter has COVID, so he was supposed to do uh, listen and eat. And I was going to do the last two on Cinco de Mayo. Um, but so we're actually going to do bless for the dyslexic. 
So we're going to end with the last two servant story. Um, uh, Carter has COVID. I think he's done with quarantine tomorrow. I got my second booster shot earlier today, so I have diarrhea. <laughs> so if I have to run away, that's kind of what's happening, but I think I'm in a good shape. I told the team earlier that I'm a Mexican, and you're going to find out a little bit about that, and we have a high skill in keeping diarrhea under control. So... <laughs> Having said that, uh, we're also spending some time in the book of Luke, and Luke is a phenomenal book. And a few things before we dive into a couple of passages. If you have a Bible there, open up to Luke 13, verse 10, and we're going to go there in a little bit. But a couple things I wanted to dive into Luke, and a couple things to remind us. There are four Gospels, and these are the accounts, personal accounts of the life of Jesus, and they're incredibly important. But there are a couple things that make Luke unique. Luke is the only Gospel, one of the four, that actually has a sequel. Does anybody know Why? Luke wrote a gospel, but then there's a sequel to the gospel of Luke. What book might that be? The book of Acts, correct. So Luke uh, wrote both his gospel and Acts. And uh, Luke was uh, a physician. Luke was someone who was very attentive to detail, and he paid attention to the bigger picture. And so he looked back and he saw the history of Israel. He was very finely uh, in tune and he had a lot of knowledge of what the Old Testament was. But then he was very aware that what was in the Old Testament was coming to fruition. All the prophecies there was coming, all of a sudden crystallizing into this person called Jesus. So Luke is actually, the summation of Luke is this, that there is a savior for all who are lost. That's what Luke wants you and me to know. That there is a savior for lost people. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises that God made in the Old Testament. And those begin all the way from Genesis, by the way. But he's more than just the Jewish Messiah. So he had these Jewish people that were waiting for the Messiah to come. He came. But he's more than just the Jewish Messiah. He is the savior of the world. So it's important to read the Gospels, and particularly Luke. And one thing that is to be communicated to you and to me is that without a doubt, through the eyewitness and the stories... And what it is that we see and know about Jesus is you and I are left with this clear message. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Your Savior and mine. That's why he came. So we're going to read a couple stories. And we're going to talk this one again. We're doing servant story in this last one. But let's go to Luke 13. And actually there are two passages back to back. We'll begin with one and end with another. But uh, we're going to read the story of how Jesus healed a crippled woman on the Sabbath. Hmm. This could be a little interesting. So on a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. That's, most of you are what, 18, 20, 22 in this room? That's a long time to be crippled, most of your lifetimes. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. That's a pretty bad way to live. When Jesus saw her, when Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And then he put his hands on her, and immediately she put his hands on her. And immediately she straightened up, and what did she do? She praised God. Indignant. Does anybody know what the word indignant means? It means pissed off. Sorry. <laughs> really horked. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. There were a bunch of synagogue people there. And the synagogue leader said to the people, Hey, Jesus, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. What are you doing healing on the Sabbath? Because the Sabbath was supposed to be the day where you did nothing, where you ceased from working. So the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, doesn't each of you, and he's talking to those church leaders, 
On the Sabbath, untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water. Don't you do some kind of a work that's helpful? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated. Gotcha. But the people who were delighted with all the wonder, but, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Jesus is healing on the Sabbath, and that was, in those days, particularly in the religious circles, a no-no. Uh, there were powerful prejudices that we see in this story. What would be one of them? What was a prejudice that Jesus was facing? Don't work on the Sabbath. Don't do anything on the Sabbath. You've got to lay back and relax. There were strong religious prejudices that said don't heal on the Sabbath. There was another prejudice that's going on, and this is something that, again, the touching that Jesus did with the woman, uh, the, the, the interaction that he had with her, men and women shouldn't be talking to one another. There are other stories in the Bible where Jesus is actually loving and caring for women so much, even though the prejudice of the day is that if she's not your wife, you can't be hanging out with her let alone doing something for her, because then something else would be involved. But there was none of that in this. But there were these prejudices that were all a part of what Jesus was doing, and they were coming from the religious people of the day, the people that knew Scripture the best. And yet Jesus was getting hammered. One of the things that I love that is in the essence of the Christian faith, and we see it in the life of Jesus so much, and he fought against this. And we can be caught in this trap too is that Christianity, being a, a, a follower of Jesus, being called a Christian, is not someone who follows rules and regulations, but it's someone who lives in relationship with the Savior. So here was Jesus serving, and he was getting chewed out for serving because there were prejudice, prejudices against the way he was serving. And yet, it wasn't about the rules that he was asked to follow as someone who was religious. He kind of busted through all that, and he served anyway because he cared, because he wanted relationship. Does that sound like anything in your life? Maybe there are prejudices that you see or you notice, and yet your heart goes out to want to help and love and serve. It's about relationship. Actually, there's far more influence in lives through relationship than through following rules and regulations. So thankfully, in this story, we see that Jesus did not let the rules keep him from serving and healing the woman. Okay, I want to spend most of the rest of the time talking to you about someone who in my family system is actually a hero of serve, and I want to tell you the story. So serving is an incredibly powerful way to make an impact for the kingdom of God. And then telling the story of what God does in the aftermath of that is such an incredible way to communicate that God loves us. That something has been done for you and me that we can't do for ourselves and that because of the love that overflows in the heart of those that say yes to Jesus and they're compelled to serve and do something sacrificially, all of a sudden something happens and there's a story to tell about transformed lives. Transformed lives. Is that you in here? Have you felt that dynamic of a transformed life because someone in your life, you know they love the Lord and because of that, they love you and all of a sudden, something's different about your narrative and your story that would not have happened if they hadn't blessed you or reached out to you. So behind me is a picture of my tia Lupe. Her name is Guadalupe. And she is the older sister of my grandfather. And she is a serve hero. In a minute, I'm going to tell you why. 
Guadalupe, nicknamed Lupe, uh, and Lupita, so Tia Lupita. I got to know her for, uh, I think she died when I was about maybe 10 or 11 years old. But uh, she was a woman that dealt with powerful prejudices. One, she was a woman in Mexico. Two, she was a wealthy woman in Mexico, who basically, along with my grandfather, until a little bit, more, a little bit more about it in a bit, she came to uh, prominence uh, and into great wealth, which is something that in Mexican society is not really, it was very, very rare, and people didn't know what to do with a Mexican woman who had money, who loved Jesus, and wanted to change the world. Um, she was very smart. Very intelligent. She was a great organizer and a great planner. And uh, the next photo is my grandfather. So this is her younger brother, who happens to be the uh, the dad of my dad. And so, uh, uh, and by the way, my grandfather is not a Christian, as I'm telling you this story. But Tia Lupe is. She had her life changed by an encounter, by a relationship with Jesus. But at the time, my grandfather did not. And my dad grew up in a home where there was really no Christ at the center at all. But what happened uh, for the two of them, one more picture. These are actually my grandparents. So this is my grandfather, the next one, and my grandmother. And that's actually on my parents' wedding. So they're walking in very prim, very proper, and uh, very dysfunctional. A lot of things not going well, particularly in their lives. Um, and Tia Lupe, uh, uh, um, forgot where I was going because I don't have a script. I just have photos. Let me show you the next picture. See, here is uh, my Tia Lupe on her wedding day, all right? So I don't know if you can tell a little bit kind of closely or if you can see what's going on, but here is another incredible prejudice. Let me show you the next picture. Who'd she marry? This is Mexico, the 1930s. Woman married a Chinaman. Married someone from China. What kind of a journey do you think the two of them would have by the way, my dad, Mexican, married my mom, American. I'm a Swestican. Mom was full-blooded sweet. I'm what you call coffee with milk. This is in the 60s and 70s, so all these things were kind of going on, and for the most part, um, my dad would get teased and hammered. ¿Por qué no produces lo que el país produce? Why don't you consume what the country produces? Why did you have to marry a foreigner? And this is it already in the 60s and 70s. So here in the 30s, 40s, maybe even earlier, I think the first picture is from the 20s when they actually got married, my tía Lupe was married to someone from China. So she went from Ochoa to Wong. They both grew up almost orphans. My great-grandfather left them. He was a butcher, and he liked to gamble. So he played dice and lost his butcher shop and basically was so ashamed that he left my great-grandmother with nine children and completely abandoned them. So they had... Little to no money. They really had to scrap. So the next picture is Tio Wong on the left. This is shortly before he died. This is my aunt and my grandfather and my grandmother. So really between the four of them, what they did is they made up their mind that they weren't going to ever be poor again. My grandfather was kind of the pusher, the pusher, the pusher. He was the practical one. He was the one that had all the recipes and he was the one that made the machines. My, uh, my tia Lupe, there, kind of the second one there. She was the one that I'm talking about. She was the one that was a much more, um, uh, she, had, she was a, basically a genius with regards to numbers. And she uh, did a lot of the, uh, of, the, of the math and made it happen and was the, 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 the organizer and really the brains behind the outfit. So they were actually a good team. 
And what happened is they started a chocolate factory that to this day still stands. As a matter of fact, there was another part of that chocolate factory that it was in the front house. So my dad grew up with a chocolate factory in his front yard. Uh, but there is a brand of chocolates that as you start going south of you, head towards Texas, as you get toward the south of Texas, guess what? You're going to find these chocolates. They're called vaquitas, which means little cows. Now, the factory is no longer in our family, but this is basically what my um, grandfather and, and, my, and his sister ended up building. Okay, all of this is to show you this next picture. What do you think is going on in this picture right here? What do you see? Here's the story, and here's the serve. really doesn't say much, does it? It's a bunch of old people, probably all of them dead. They probably are. But there's a bunch of what in the picture? Mostly what? Women. See the one guy in the middle? That's my Tia Wong. And he's standing right next to the left of him is his wife, my Tia Wong. So here's what I want you to know, and I want to tell you the story. This was unheard of. In the factory, my Tia decided that she wanted to hire women, single women, beat-up women, women that had no place to go. In Mexico in the 1930s, you can see how young they are. Some of them are married, some are, some are not. You see the child kind of in the bottom left. So my aunt, because of her love of Jesus, because she wanted to serve, who did she want to serve? She knew what it was like to be poor and not have anything. So against all the prejudice, so many prejudices in that era, she said, I'm going to give decent paying jobs that no one will give in Mexico City to people that really need it. Particularly, she had a heart for young women. In this photo, you might see just kind of an old one, but I see one of the most powerful pictures of Christian service and sacrifice. She helped young, often single women, mothers, and she gave them jobs. But what else did she give them? Dignity, respect, shelter, hope, help, healing, safety. Here's another thing that she did. She also anonymously, because a woman couldn't do this, my dad went to a Baptist seminary because it was the best organized, but then was with the Methodist church. My dad as a young pastor. He came to Christ on his own, was the first one in my grandfather's family that came to Christ. Long story short, my grandfather, because he was blessed, came to know Christ much later in his life. So once I got to know him, he wasn't kind of the horked off guy that, uh, you, that I can tell you about there anyway. And so what she would do is um, anonymously she would give to all the seminary graduates, Caleb, if you were going to seminary, you would be gifted a suit, a brand new suit upon graduation. Who gave this to me? You wouldn't find, you'd be able to find out. But all, a lot of the seminary graduates that would come, and she did that for years and years and years. And she did all of this in the name of Jesus. Let's go back to the one more picture. This woman, kind of on her own, if you look there are historical accounts of Mexico from the 30s through the 60s, and people will say in the church there was a revival. Something happened in the church where many people came to Christ, where there was something crackling in the church because it was healthy, because something was happening where people were coming to know they were being blessed. And behind the scenes was this woman who wouldn't allow prejudices of the day to keep her from serving in the name of Christ. And I'm so thankful that I can tell a few of you, young people as you are, this story. I'm so glad I can look at that previous photo. I can look at this photo 
And my heart is filled with gratitude because of the story that I was told that now I'm telling you. Maybe there's some of that in your own family. As a matter of fact, I hope there is. Let me show you one more picture. Servant story. Meld it together in one photo. It's just a picture of a bunch of people with a Jamaican flag in front of it with one old guy in a hat. Is it more than that? Allison, is it more than that? Way more than that. Somebody ask Allison what she means by that. Did we serve? Yes. Are there stories? Yes. Were lives changed? Of course. Are you tracking with me? This is really important. Nothing gets crammed down your throat or up your nose. It gets shared. And it has impact because of selfless steps because of the selfless steps that Jesus took towards you and me we can do the same that's another great servant story photo very next story go to Luke 13 18 to 21 we're going to end with this there's two parables Jesus says them right and away and it's a great question Jesus asked what is the kingdom of God like what shall I compare it to it's like a mustard seed how big is a mustard seed Little dinky thing. It's like a mustard seed. That's like the kingdom of God, which a man took and he planted in his garden. It grew and it became a tree and birds perched on his branches. Really short sentence. The kingdom of God is like a seed that's planted. Up comes from the seed. And by the way, the seed, you've got to kind of protect it because a bird could come and grab it. As the seed starts to grow, all of a sudden, you know, it's a little fragile. And there's immaturity and it could bend and it could possibly break, right? But you kind of protect it, you guard it, make sure the cows don't step on it, make sure the Enrique doesn't diarrhea on it or the dogs poop on it um, I mean you want to protect and you guard it and that's what kind of we're all doing hopefully regarding that was really bad I'm sorry but as, you, as it grows and it matures all of a sudden it becomes this tree that guess what gives shade to the cows that at one point could have destroyed it but now they can't it gives shelter and protection to the birds that at one point could have plucked the seed out of the water that's the kingdom of God over time there's maturity that happens and all of a sudden people are going to tell stories of your maturity, of you blessing others because you made up your mind, this is the way you're going to live. Again, he asks, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. A little bit of yeast and a little bit of dough, what happens? It gets really big and it's really awesome and you put it in the oven and what happens to bread that's been cooked in the oven? It smells good. It's the kingdom of God. Christians blessing a broken world. Christians living their life beginning with prayer, listening more than speaking, sharing time together in meals because we all eat, serving in the name of Christ, and telling stories about God at work. And all of a sudden, smells good. Basic, you smell good. You smell good. And there are people that need to smell that smell. From Christians, I grieve how lucky some Christians smell because they're converters, because they just want to cram up a bunch of rules and other prejudices up your schnoz and down your throat. Let's be like Jesus. Served without all the prejudices. Living out of the blessed model smells good. It smells good. In a broken and fallen and stinky world, it smells good.
Why does it smell so good? And we have an answer. Because we spent a little time in Luke and we read that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Band is going to come up. A little silence and reflection. I don't have anything up on the screen. But maybe um, who is God calling you to serve? Maybe more importantly, where is God calling you to serve? He's calling you to serve somewhere. But first and foremost, he wants you to learn how better as time goes by to say yes to him. And when you say yes to him and you start using and giving over the resources and things that are a part of your life sacrificially in the midst of prejudices even where you're just wanting to receive and give, the love that that God has shown to us as a spotless lamb on a cross and now we celebrate the empty tomb because God rose him from the dead and for anyone that would repent of their sins and say yes to this Jesus to the sacrifice done on our behalf we're changed and we start to smell good and we can tell stories of a real God and we can bless there are people in your life that just need to be blessed where and who might God be calling you to serve even in the midst of prejudices take a little time and by the way you can can use this time whatever you can just kind of stare at the screen feather a little bit through Luke as much as you want you're loved by people in your life who loves you more who loves you more it's worship